He was one of those civilized individuals who did not insist upon agreement with his political principles as a precondition for conversation or friendship. People around here don't care about DACA. They don't care about Me Too, I'm Black Too, or transgender bathrooms. Period. A trade war with China? Bring it on. Most people in western Pennsylvania support it. They've been blaming the Chinese for stealing their jobs for 40 years. Democrats used to fight for this stuff. Um, yeah. No, I can't hear myself. Not that that matters, but okay. No? Okay. There it is. That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. Okay, so I'll keep it quiet. Yeah. I heard that beep. I got edited there. I'm Mike Romai, and today we're going to talk about issues facing the state of Pennsylvania and the constituents in the 15th and the 14th legislative districts. Joining us are Democratic candidates Amy Fazio from the 14th district and Terry Mitko for the 15th district. Welcome to both of you. So let's talk about campaigns first off. This is uh, your maiden voyage, both of you, in politics. Why? You have a successful career, Terry Mitko. You're a lawyer. Um, why would you want to get into the rough and tumble world of politics? Mike, I, I am a successful lawyer. I've been in practice for 30 years, and I've watched as a practitioner who focuses in family law, I've seen uh, the middle class dissipate, really. It's shrinking over the past 30 years. I just don't believe that uh, our government is really addressing the needs of the citizens, nor my needs. And I, I'm tired of complaining about it. This is an opportunity. I'm in a place in my life where I can dedicate myself to public service, and that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Amy Fazio uh, from New Brighton. Uh, you have a family. You run a business. Your husband is uh, successful in music. Uh, you're a school board director over at New Brighton. Why? Why, why do you want to uh, move away from those things and get into politics, which is going to take up a lot of your time? That's well said. It it does take up a lot of time. It is such a privilege to be able to campaign for the seat and really understand the stories um, and the issues that our neighbors face. And I'm running because I can do a better job of representing folks and fighting for the resources that we need here in the county to improve lives. Okay. Terry Mitko, um, the seat is open in the 15th district. Jim Christiana has decided that he is not going to run again. Uh, so it's pretty much an open seat, uh, you and a Republican challenger. Is that something that um, you thought was attractive, that, you know, there's nobody there, you can take that seat? Yes, that is a factor in my decision to run for this. In addition, I think that my opponent and I are completely opposite on most issues. And that is another fact why I wanted to run, because I feel that my opponent is more of the same thing that's already in government, and that's what I don't want. I don't want the same thing where the needs of the people aren't being addressed, but rather special interests and corporate interests are being addressed. I want focus put on the people, the needs of the people, focus on education, focus on on the middle class, focus on making sure that labor is addressed and making sure that we have good jobs in our economy in safe environments. That's what I want the focus to be put on. 
the last time a Democrat held the seat that you're running for was Vince Bancucci. That's right. And that's a number of years ago. Jim Christiana has, has uh, had taken that, uh, that district over as a Republican in a district. And I want to bring this to both of you because Jim Marshall is the state representative in the 14th district. These districts over the last 12 years have been gerrymandered to the point where, and the reason for doing these things is because they want to protect those districts. Uh, so the Republicans have been in control in Harrisburg for a number of years now, so they made these seats safe for those candidates. Amy, let's start with you. How do you think that uh, you're going to be able to make a dent in what is now a more Republican district in, um, in the 14th? You know, a driving force of, of why I'm running is because of the incompetence uh, throughout government, really, the lack of accountability and integrity and gerrymandering, uh, which for those listeners who don't know, is a process of um, drawing legislative lines that benefit the politician so that we have a situation in Pennsylvania where politicians choose their voters rather than voters choosing their politicians. You see that play out when you see school districts like mine in New Brighton and every other school district in this district, uh, in District 14, is divided with two legislators. They're not even keeping school districts together. So it's really not benefiting the people. So gerrymandering is a problem and it it keeps people in power that want to stay in power. And we really needed to see a complete shift in our leaders that are going after these seats. And I think that's what we're seeing with this election cycle. People stepping up in new and exciting ways. Candidates like us that have never given this a go before that, you know, we know we can do better. And I think we need leaders who really care about us. Terry, the 15th district is huge. I'm not saying that Amy's is not, but the 15th district, you're all the way in Washington County, a, a large swath of Washington County. Um, is this a challenge for you as a Democrat? Geographically, it is a large district. Oddly, the 60% of my constituents are in Beaver County, which is not that large of an area. 40% are in very rural communities in uh, Washington County that stretch from the Beaver County line all the way down to Greene County. But I want you to know that the the makeup by party is nearly 50-50 Democrat and Republican. However, we do have several thousand independents. So uh, it's not, you know, this is, this is going to be a dogfight. This is going to be a close race, um, and I'm very hopeful. Terry's the one to win it, no doubt. <laughs> I have, uh, I'm a lifelong resident of Beaver County, uh, spent some time in politics. And as far as uh, the political aspect of things go, Donald Trump, President Trump, won Beaver County. How do you explain that? And are you on the campaign trail encountering some pushback to your Democratic values? I'm running for reasons much bigger than this last election cycle. Uh, my, the incumbent I'm running against has been in office 12 years, not two years. And uh, the lack of resources in Beaver County has been having uh, happening for a long time. I had to think long and hard about uh, whether I was going to be able to represent this community with integrity, right? Because the job description of state representative is, in fact, to represent the constituents, not drive your personal agenda. And uh, what our communities need is a uh, facilitate, uh, facilitator. Politicians need to understand that role of engaging people, helping them define what they want to see in their communities. These people are busy. 
They're working two jobs. My neighbors are working two jobs. They're taking care of children and elderly parents. They don't even understand that there is fracking in their neighborhood. That's true. There's fracking in my neighborhood, and I can tell you I have many neighbors who don't even realize it's, it's in their community. We need to do better by the people. Let's talk about uh, your district and the representative uh, Jim Marshall uh, now. Uh, so he has been there 12 years. Uh, back in the day, he was known as the giant slayer because Mike Vion uh, had some issues and uh, he came and ran and, and beat the minority whip at the time. Uh, but since that time, he has been, by most accounts, pretty much non-existent. If you go through his district and ask who their state representative is, they probably don't know. Uh, and as far as what he has been able to achieve for the 14th district, I don't know that he can proudly point to anything that he has accomplished. So when you go out on the campaign trail, what do people say to you? Uh, what I hear at the doors are people are just tired of nothing happening in their communities. Uh, we're not taking advantage of this great opportunity with the oil and gas industry. We're not building up our schools. I can tell you that at New Brighton, we're passing $700,000 deficit budget. Uh, our representative is not fighting for us. He's flying under the radar, doing the bare minimum, and it's time to upgrade the position. Uh, Terry Mitko, uh, I want to get back to the question about Donald Trump winning Beaver County. A lot of people in Beaver County, many of them uh, hardworking uh, Democratic voters, uh, switched over to vote for him. They don't see that Democrats are meeting their needs. Right. I, I think that uh, you originally said, uh, question whether there had been a pushback uh, to democratic values, and I do not believe that that's true. I think the Democrats still have democratic values, but I do think that they felt that their values had, had or their needs had not been met under a prior administration. Um, but I also think that, that, for, that a lot of the Democrats now are not happy either, um, and I think they're coming back, to be honest with you. Now, there are some out there who, who are not going to come back, but there are also Republicans who are coming to the Democratic side as well. So when I go door to door, it's really an interesting uh, experience. Uh, every door that I go to, I, if I have somebody who answers, I give them the opportunity and ask them to tell me what they think uh, needs to happen or change in Harrisburg. And uh, often uh, I hear, well, how much time do you have? And so those are interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as uh, Jim Christiana is concerned, when he uh, held this seat, the 15th district seat, I think his biggest claim to fame was public accountability. Uh, when he first took office, he was talking about and uh, putting uh, the information uh, as far as expenditures online for all representatives and things like that. But other than that, I don't know that there's anything that voters in the 15th district can point to that he's accomplished. Yeah, I live in the 15th district and I can't point to much. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. Uh, you mentioned uh, the population. The population here in Beaver County, in both of your districts, is elderly. Uh, is that correct? Is that a correct assumption? I know there are more and more young people coming to Beaver County with the cracker plant and things like that. But for the most part, our demographic is um, over the age of 50. Is that a challenge? Um, you know, because uh, let me let me expand that question, um, because you're talking about health care and you're talking about uh, senior living. Um, we're inundated with a lot of uh, drugstores and uh, senior high rises and, and those types of facilities. Uh, many of them 
healthcare uh, institutions that are, that are pretty much unregulated or don't have much regulation here in, in Pennsylvania. So how do you address those problems? Because I know the school districts are a separate issue, which we'll get to, but as far as health care uh, for uh, Pennsylvanians and what happened after uh, President Obama and the whole uh, national health care, uh, a lot of people are still searching. Health care is a big issue. I know you can't do anything about it in Pennsylvania, per se, uh, because those are decisions that are made in Washington, but how it's doled out does have to do with the state legislature. You're smiling, Terry. Go ahead. Tell me what you're thinking. Well, you know, um, I, I have several things, you know, floating through my head right now. Let me just back up a little bit when you talk about the Affordable Care Act. As a, uh, as a lawyer who has practiced in family law for 30 years, I know there's a lot of some controversy about the Affordable Care Act, but from my perspective, when you have families that are going through the transition and one member of that family, one working uh, spouse had the medical insurance and the other one didn't and there was a divorce, the fear was that the, the spouse who didn't have the medical insurance was left out in the cold without medical insurance. Under COBRA, that spouse would be able to keep that at a very exorbitant premium, would keep the insurance for up to 36 months. If there was a pre-existing condition, it was particularly terrifying for that spouse to get the divorce. Then the Affordable Care Act comes in, and it was tremendous relief for, quite frankly, for everyone, for the people going through the divorce, the parties, and for the court and the lawyers, because it gave us some ability to say, okay, this gives us the ability to make sure everybody keeps insurance, maybe not the same type of insurance. And so with this administration coming in now and the Affordable Care Act being under attack, we're all very nervous about what's going to happen when people go through a divorce situation, and are they going to be able to uh, stay insured if they have a pre-existing condition. So yes, and in this situation, you know, in, in Beaver County, where we do have a more elderly population and we have people with pre-existing conditions, and we do have elderly getting divorced, it is a concern. And yesterday I was talking to someone who, uh, who has, and he's elderly, and he has a number of medical conditions, and he was moaning and groaning about how much it's costing him to get his prescriptions and, you know, the cost of medical care. And I said to him, had you ever heard of uh, the possibility of a single-payer health care system? I said, I'm intrigued by it. I don't know enough about it. But these are the things that I'm hearing about out on the campaign trail, uh, and I'm trying to talk to doctors about how they feel about it. But actually, states could do a single-payer uh, medical program if they wanted to. So I'm not saying that I'm for or against it. I'm still collecting information, but that is a possibility. Amy, your thoughts on health care uh, and the health care costs and what can be done about it at the state level? Access to affordable quality health care is, um, it's not just the right thing to do. It's good business. It's good for everybody, right? It's good for families. It's good for children. It's good for seniors. It's good for veterans. It's good for entrepreneurs. Uh, I can tell you that when I started my own business in 2013, uh, it's only because I had access to healthcare that allowed us to take that risk. So it's it's an important part of the formula. Uh, Medicare increases are not helping seniors. Um, we've got to continue to support seniors and provide the services they need and help uh, families that are struggling with caring for seniors. They don't even get a tax break. Um, I can tell you my grandmother is in 
is in Providence. She's 101 years old. And um, we, we, our family visits her twice a day every day. That's the kind of care that's required uh, for families who want to stay together. And so we need to help those families. Tara, you mentioned uh, at the state, and the state can do something about it. Uh, you've both met with uh, Governor Wolf. You've both been on uh, pr- uh, platforms with him. Is he in favor of doing something like that, of protecting health care for, or maybe even single payer, which some people would say, oh, that's socialism, we don't want it. Uh, the reason people went against it, obviously, was because uh, the Republicans were able to name it Obamacare and anything that had to do with Obama, they were going to be against. So as far as, um, as, far as a national health program or single payer, which Bernie Sanders uh, supported, uh, would Americans, now that they see what's happening as they're trying to dismantle it pulls very favorably Mm -hmm. um and governor wolf has worked uh, very hard to expand health care right because states do have control in fact it was governor wolf that put the money together to extend chip programming when the federal government couldn't seem to get the job done so governor wolf has has proven himself to be an advocate of health care for all and he needs support he needs legislators in the um in harrisburg that are going to help him to get the policy passed instead of seeing a decade of budgets that have been sliced and gutted, uh, we've got to reinstate that funding and increase it. And we have the opportunity to do it with uh, various industries coming into the area. So question for uh, for both of you, Amy first. Um, Why should I vote for you over Jim Marshall? I mean, what are you going to do differently? How am I going to know that you're, uh, you're making a difference in Harrisburg? I have 25 years experience in building communities. I have been a teacher. I have been a nonprofit fundraiser. I have been an executive director of a trade association. I have volunteered as a coach on Girls on the Run, empowering young women. I volunteer regularly. I understand what it takes to facilitate a process, engaging people to get them excited and involved in, in building the communities they want to see. And I want to take that skill set to Harrisburg, find out what is going on and what the problem is where we can never find money for the things we all care about. What I hear at the doors is that we have more in common than that divides us, even after gerrymandering. And if we can focus on those issues that we've been talking about today, right, health care for everybody that we have good schools to send our kids to, we have roads and bridges that work and can attract the businesses we want, and we have good jobs at livable wages. If we focus and build the middle class, it works. It drives economic development. So I wanna go to Harrisburg to figure out what the problem is and putting the money to the things that we say are important because in my book, that is the definition of integrity. We do what we say we're gonna do. And I'm excited to be running with Terry Mitko because I believe it's this type of integrity that she has demonstrated over a 30 year career um, that I've invested in raising my family here and building my community, that type of um, longstanding commitment will do us well in representing the people of this area. Historically, it's not been easy for a freshman legislator to hit the ground running, uh, to get any kind of money back into their districts. Uh, it's kind of a system where you have to pay your dues and you have to be there for a number of years. They might throw you a couple crumbs here and there. Uh, but if you two win, Democrats in Beaver County, you'll be joining Rob Matsey, uh in Ambridge, um, and you'll have uh, the majority, at least for Beaver County. That's right. Is there some form of coalition uh, and something that you could all agree on to be able to not only have one voice for the 14th or the 15th district, but this is going to be a Beaver County coalition. Anything like that? That would be awesome. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Terry has talked about some priority legislation that we could work on uh, regarding um, government reform and campaign finance. I, I know that's an issue she's particularly passionate yes. about, that we could hit the ground running um, and make some changes quick. I don't plan to take my time once we get there. Terry, 15th District voters, uh, they have an empty seat now. Uh, why should they vote for Terry Mitko? First of all, I grew up in Beaver County. I graduated from Freedom High School. I've lived specifically in the 15th District for 31 years. I've worked in the 15th District. I know the people here. I've done charity work here. I'm smart. I'm really hardworking. I'm pretty intense. Some people would call me stubborn. <laughs> um, That's why I like her. <laughs> and I have seen that the people here really need attention that they're not getting. I'm not beholden to any special interest group. I don't have any oil and gas people knocking on my door saying you need to work for this particular reason. I don't have any other special interest group knocking on my door giving me large amounts of money saying please take care of this or take care of that. I'm working class and that's who I want to work for and make sure that we have the ability to provide for upward mobility of our people. And we don't right now. The, the educational system in our Commonwealth is not good. We don't have quality education for all of our students, only for the affluent. We don't have affordable post-secondary education. That's not acceptable. Even West Virginia provides for free post-secondary education. Why can't Pennsylvania? So, and I'm not saying, I'm not even saying free, I'm saying affordable. We have work to do and we can get it done. I want to get to Harrisburg. So 15th District, uh, Center Township, Potter Township, Shell, uh, Shell Cracker Plant, right in your district, yes. would be district. You mean Shell hasn't come knocking on your door saying, hey, we'd like to support you. you we'd know, like to throw some cash your way. Or learn about you. Isn't, yeah. that, isn't that interesting? I know that uh, my opponent in his law practice, he does represent oil and gas companies. He does represent corporations. Uh, he has been on the campaign trial far longer than I am. You might recall that I'm the write-in candidate. Um, so, you know, and I'm not saying that Shell won't knock on my door. I would love to meet with them. Um, I want you to know that I am concerned about the environment. I believe that we can have good, strong industry with good jobs, but I also want to make sure that these jobs are, are occur in safe environments so that our workers are not, uh, don't get sick, uh, so that they're safe and so that our citizens are safe. That's an interesting point that you bring up. And, and for both of your districts, you with the shellcracker plant, because there's opposition to it. And Amy, I, I know that uh, there's going to be a casino in Big Beaver in your district. And I saw you post something the other day asking people, what do you think about this? Um, because there are farmers out there and it may disrupt the way of life out there. But the upside is, could it bring in uh, revenue and could it provide jobs? So when you're dealing and you're going out knocking door to door with people, some of them are going to say, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah, the shell plant is a good thing. Yeah, the casino, I'd love to see that come. But others are going to say, no, nah, it's going to bring too much dirt. Uh, this one might bring uh, too much crime into the area and prostitution, as people like to argue about casinos. And we just can't afford that. So how do you as candidates, how, how do you handle those questions. Here, here's my question. Um, I, I guess I'm stringing the stories together a little bit, and I'm hearing about all the downstream industry and all the opportunity. Uh, to date, things are not getting easier for my family, and I, I, I don't think things are getting easier for many of my neighbors. What I don't understand is what I see in the paper is we are getting a new cancer treatment facility here. 
We are getting a new bottling facility, a mega bottling facility in the area that's uh, so large they had to work with the utilities to find the right location. Got a new gas station in New Brighton. That's always big, uh, big news. And a casino. Is this what we meant by the side businesses that were going to come with this industry? Because I'm more interested in innovative and future thinking types of ideas. We've got a great opportunity with oil and gas, but why not renewables at the same time? Why can't we be looking at that? Um, Medical marijuana is a really up and coming industry that can be very lucrative and do a lot of good for a lot of needy families. Why aren't we looking at some innovative things? Why are we always going back to the the good old ideas? I want my daughter to live in a community that's that has more than a casino. Change is difficult Change uh, is for difficult. a lot of people. Terry, what about that? What about the questions? Uh, Shell Cracker Plant and some of the new things that may be coming into the area. Uh, Broadhead Road, I work on Broadhead Road. So, you know, there's development going on in the center part of the county quite a bit. Uh, but then once you get out and you get into Aliquippa or you come to Beaver Falls and, and areas in between, there's not much new development going on there. But people are concerned about what's going to happen to the rivers. People over in Beaver and Vanport are concerned about uh, uh, the lighting and uh, the atmospheric conditions of it all. We already, even before uh, Shell gets in, have some of the worst air in the country here in Beaver County. Uh, So I am concerned. The uh, EPA regulations have to be complied with, uh, and the EPA has to be given teeth to enforce their regulations. That's the issue. If the regulations are complied with, we're going to be okay. What I hear, here's what I hear. I hear, bo- I hear both sides of the story. From the perspective of the industry, all of these regulations cut into profits, but they need to be able to get the work done. They need to be able to expand. They need to be able to provide jobs. And people want jobs. On the other hand, we can't be killing our people. Do you know that the president of the United States has suggested that we bring asbestos. Asbestos. I'm like, my mind is blown. That's been known to kill us. Now, this is the guy, though, who ran on the idea, I'm going to bring steel back, and for West Virginia, I'm going to bring the coal mines back. And people love that concept. Well, listen, that's that's all possible to work on that and be thinking 15 down, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Exactly. Let's do this, but let's let's keep it healthy. And it can be done. So that's that's my point. Let's let's comply with the regulations, yeah. and let's make sh- and let's make sure that we keep people healthy. Let, we can do both. Let's not do one. If if it's a, if it's slightly more expensive, it's slightly more expensive. But let's stay healthy. The people I'm talking to are for clean air and clean water. That's what I'm, I'm hearing both sides. <laughs> sure. I'm here because here's the deal: if you want to have a, a healthy community and you want to bring people into this community, and like you said, Mike, our community is elderly. Okay, we need families to move into this community. They're not moving in if our air quality is bad, and they're not moving in if our rivers are bad and our water is bad. They're just not moving in, and our schools are bad. That's right. So we have to clean this up. Right. Uh, And we can still see the residue from the steel mills of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s on the homes and uh, the uh, health effects on those workers who are now, as we say, uh, elderly and suffering from a lot of uh, breathing issues and health issues because of them. So, I mean, the money was good. 
I worked in uh, mills for a little while. The money was good. The benefits were good. But the, uh, the, the bad side about, about that, the negative side, was uh, what it did to people's health, not only who worked there, but throughout the communities, and, uh, as well as um, the economy. Once it dried up, we were a one-trick pony. It could be a much more transparent process. I, I think even in my neighborhood where I drink well water and they're fracking within a mile of my home, you know, nobody's ever knocked on my door and just said, hey, you might want to think about a water test, or I know the information's controversial, but we should present it to you anyway. If they're so confident, why why the lack of transparency? I mean, why not a map showing me where those pipelines are and what drilling is underground? It makes me curious. Uh, um, I want to find out more. I want to go to Harrisburg. Because not everybody has city water and city sewage, not even in your district, uh, Terry. Absolutely. So the idea that, uh, and we've seen it in the news uh, many times over the past five years, is that people's water catches on fire. You can light it on fire. It smells. I test my water if it lights. Different on things. Fire. And but the industry, because they have lobbyists in Harrisburg and in Washington are able to get around those regulations. They say they meet them, but if you say that my well water's bad, they're going to come and say, well, no, that, that didn't always, happen. Yeah, it was always was, bad. Yeah, it happened before we came in And here. shame on me for not paying $300 yeah. for a water test yeah. to have proven that. Yeah, so that's, that's, tough, that's tough to beat, uh, the industry we with the lobbyists. We can work together. Yeah, we can work together, and I think Terry's right. When you boil down the common sense issues, people are in agreement we just have to figure out a way to uh, make it uh, positive for everybody. Let me uh, address the uh, elephant in the room, and that is uh, nationally, women are taking the place of men in political seats all across the nation. So we have two women here uh, who are vying to win seats that were historically held by men. I know you didn't decide, you, you didn't get together sometime uh, last winner and say, hey, let's do this because, uh, you know, it's the Me Too generation and women are doing this. What can women bring to the table that men have failed at over all these years? <laughs> Careful now. <laughs> Mike, it's, you know, when, when that question was first posed to me, I thought my, my immediate reaction is that it's long overdue. If every woman who was running in Pennsylvania were successful, if each one of us wins, I think we're not even half, okay? So in my mind, I'm like, well, what's the big deal? But to answer your question, you know, what do I bring as a woman? I know that I'm, uh, I'm a very good multitasker and I'm very good hard worker and I've been in a male-dominated career in my entire life. And perhaps because of that, I've always worked super hard to prove myself and I will continue to do that. So that's what I bring. I, ha I didn't meet uh, Amy Fazio until I joined this campaign, and she's just absolutely brilliant and delightful, and I'm thrilled that she's running because she will serve her district well. Amy, what do women bring that uh, men haven't been able to do to this point? There's a different mindset. I mean, we know this all, you know, the book, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, that, <laughs> right. that whole thing, because we think differently. And the issues that you talk about here, healthcare, education, a number of other things, we view as men differently than women who raise the families uh, traditionally, uh, who watch, you know, grade, uh, you work with the kids in the classrooms, things like that, uh, where men just, uh, we get a free pass on a lot of that stuff. So when you look at it through a policy perspective, 
what are women going to be able to bring to the table that's different than what men as they sit around in back rooms and discuss? Pennsylvania ranks 49th in the country for women leaders at the state level or above. Uh, to Terry's point, that's pretty egregious, right? Even if we all were to win, it's still far, far below par. And it's for the reasons you just said, Mike, it's the perspectives we bring. And we need women to step up and lean in everywhere they are, whether that's organizing their neighborhood, their PTAs, whether it's uh, mentoring women at work. But we have to show up because our communities need us. Men and women alike, we need everybody. That's the whole point of diversity. It's having multiple perspectives at the table to come up with the best possible solutions to serve the many. Um, so we need men, we need women, we need minorities, we need every perspective we can get. And what women do very well, and what I've built a career doing, is processing feedback and information and facilitating a process, a community-based process. We are collaborators intuitively. And I think that that is, in particular right now, something that is badly needed in government. I have a 12-year-old daughter, 11-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and I take every uh, throughout this entire race, every decision I'm making about where I'm going, what I'm saying, I have her in, at top of mind and with me as much as possible. We have got to teach these girls that um, it's not about being selfish, it's the world needs you. Mm -hmm. And as we have this conversation today, it happens to be the anniversary yes. of the 19th Amendment of the Constitution that gave the women the right to vote. Yes. I, uh, I had just posted something about that this morning when my daughter and her girlfriend were getting up and having breakfast. So, of course, we tackled uh, the, the 19th Amendment first thing this morning and um, really talked to them about the importance of how these women sacrifice so much for our right to vote. Uh, we are standing on the shoulders and we need to take that very seriously and um, understand it's a great responsibility. They were jailed. Killed. Killed mocked. And even over the, since the time of the 19th Amendment's ratification, women were still told by the men in power, oh, that's okay, you just stay back there, you, you know, we'll take care of it. We only got the right to have a credit card in 1974. I mean, this is not that long ago. We have, we are not moving fast enough. And quite frankly, right now, we're moving in the wrong direction. Yeah. How so? Well, the assault on health care, that is just keeping women down, right? If we don't have the health care we need to take care of our families, we can't get that job and that promotion. Livable wages are keeping women in their place. Make no mistake. The, the lack of support for schools and social programming, all of that is a systematic approach to, uh, and the result of that is keeping people down. And women often are the ones to suffer from those policies. We need to invest in schools. We need to invest in families. Do you agree, Terry? Absolutely. There still is a gap between wages for men and women. Uh, schools have come up quite a bit in this conversation, and uh, you're both parents, uh, so you've put your children through schools. Public education uh, has been under attack for a long time. Pennsylvania has never, it's been worse in the past, but it's, uh, it's still bad, has never, the state has never given schools uh, the amount of money, the percentage of the budget that they're supposed to get. As you know, Amy, as a school board uh, director, as a member of the school board, that means cuts. That means cuts in teachers. That means consolidation. A lot of people are looking towards, uh, Terry, in your district, Central Valley, Center in Manaka, and people would like to see more of those. Again, controversial issues. 
I'm uh, not so sure, Mike. I'm not so sure it's as controversial as we're being told it is. Uh, I'm talking to a lot of moms out there right now. I'm knocking on a lot of doors and I'm getting a lot of women together to have conversations about what their communities look like. I'm hearing um, a surprising interest in looking at those options before they're forced upon us because that is the direction we're heading. And we know that because we're seeing our academic profiles failing. We're seeing our students not having the resources they need. Um, so moms, moms and dads get it. New Brighton is where you're a school board member. My daughter is a teacher in the New Brighton district. Uh, my son-in-law uh, is a teacher in the New Brighton district. Uh, so I have some idea. I won't profess to know everything, but New Brighton and Rochester, uh, there's long been talk about that consolidation because Rochester is even worse off than New Brighton is in terms of uh, student enrollment. Uh, they are very low on that. We knew from Central uh, Center in Manaka that Manaka, because of its low population of students, they weren't able to get programs for education for those students to be able to achieve college status, uh, to get to college requirements, uh, because they just didn't have the enrollment in there. In terms of all that, and you can't go back to, to the property owners and say, we need more money from you, because you're never going to get elected if you say, we've got to raise your property taxes because we have to fund the schools. How do we go about it? Because you know it, but in, in center of Manaka, um, well, we're the Manaka Indians. No, we're the center Trojans. And a lot of it has to do with identity. The New Brighton Lions and the Rochester Rams. Who's going to get to be the Rams? Why do we have to have schools in Manaka? Why don't we have them in center? Well, why are you having them in center? It's tough stuff. So it's turf wars go on. So you, as the state representative, would have to defend the decision and more or less convince your taxpayers, your residents, that this is a good idea. What I hear out there from elected officials is it's not, quote, my job. I'm not sure whose job is it then, because school boards are only uh, able to do so much, and they're very busy managing crisis situations constantly due to lack of funding. Um, we need leadership. Uh, that's not necessarily spelled out in the job description, but to inspire communities to understand the strength about coming together. We are a union community. We know the power of coming together to make change. And parents are getting the fact that if we don't consolidate and compete for funding formula based on attended, uh, enrollment being one of those factors, uh, we're not going to get the resources we need. And so I think there is a lot of interest, and I think it will take collaboration as any merger or acquisition would take, but I think folks are interested in looking at it. And I think with the right leadership, we can inspire and facilitate a process that will get a, a good result for our communities. Terry Mitko, this is an emotional issue for a lot of people out there, especially a lot of parents who have school-aged children. Uh, you said you were born and raised in Freedom. Freedom is another one of those schools, although they're getting some input from the Cranberry Corridor uh, because they're doing more building out there. And is it possible somewhere down the line that Freedom hooks up with some school in Cranberry? Or I've heard New Brighton, Rochester, Freedom may be that right combination. Yeah. Uh, Mike, when I go out and about and I'm talking to various organizations uh, in Beaver County, and there are a number of uh, economic development organizations, you may be aware of them. Uh, there's also uh, talk of um, the leaders within the school districts coming together. The supervisors are talking with some assistance from, um, from these leadership uh, organizations on how they can bring their schools together. If a merger doesn't occur, perhaps 
We can make hubs within the schools. Uh, perhaps one school can be a hub for perhaps like culinary, and we all the kids can go to one school for because it's it's where culinary studies occur, and perhaps another one is where automotive studies occur, and perhaps another one is where language arts occur. For instance, we have. Uh, Lincoln Park, which of course is a charter school, but I mean within the public school system. So those talks actually are already taking place. And that may be a, a jumping off point for there to be in the in the future uh, more of a merger of the public school system. It may be a more natural process in that respect when people actually start talking about how to merge at least curriculum for the benefit of all the students of the county. I'm hopeful. Is there a future for public education, uh, the funding formula for it, or are we on the way for more cyber charter schools or performing arts schools? Well, I, I think cyber charter schools play an important role in our overall public education. They are public education entities, absolutely. And I think it's about working in collaboration with one another. If we all have the same thing and, and goal in mind, which I believe we do, supporting children and families, because here's the truth. There are folks out there that are against public education. It's not about whether you're a Republican or Democrat. It's whether you're for public education or not. That's the conversation that's really happening that I'm most concerned about. And uh, those of us who are for public education uh, need to fund it. We need to uh, put our money where our mouth is, and we need to get these schools the resources. I'm really proud of the work of New Brighton. We have a great superintendent in Dr. Garino, and we uh, partner with school district, neighboring school districts in all kinds of ways. We share alternative ed classrooms, to Terry's point. Um, we share backroom operations in IT. Uh, we, have find, we have found opportunities to get together, even though perhaps our boards haven't formally sat down. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll get to you in a second. But in terms of being a school board member, you have to deal with the legacy costs. And that's one of the big issues that people have because teachers pay, teachers benefits, teacher retirements. Um, you know, teachers have pretty have had a pretty good deal going on here, especially in retirement, where health care and funding has been paid for. But it's at a cost to the teachers and to the school district because eventually somebody's got to pay that bill. Uh, and it was promised years ago, but it's coming due now. So our teachers absolutely deserve a livable wage and to retire in dignity. And I think that's what we have been able to offer in the past. And I think that's what's slipping away now. To me, I'm much more interested in talking about how we are going to fund retirement, not how did it happen and how did we find ourselves here. New Brighton pays 30 cents on every salary dollar to make up the difference in retirement. I get it. I see it all the time in our budgets, that it, it hurts to, uh, to fund those things, especially when school districts and the state government went past due for many years. Not the teachers, they continued to contribute during that time. It was their government that let us down. And so there's no way that I think teachers should, should um, at all have to suffer because of mismanagement under Corbett and others, including the 2010 budget um, that my incumbent, uh, competitor voted for that completely gutted education and made a very strong statement, we simply don't care about giving people an equal chance in these communities, because that's what that says to me. Terry, let's talk about the the budgeting formulas for uh, education in Pennsylvania. What do you know about it? And uh, how would you would you do it differently? The budgeting formulas for education and how it's doled out from the state, because what Amy just said uh, is correct in that uh, the monies were there, the teachers were paying into it, but when it came time uh, for the state to bring it back, uh, it cut 
percentage, a big, big yeah, percentage. Yeah, I'm of aware it. of how the I'm I'm aware of how we got into the mess that we're in, and I agree with Amy that it was, certainly wasn't the fault of the teachers at all, and it was uh, uh, mistakes made by the by the government back back at that time. There are a number of issues that that we need to address. One one of the issues I think is, um, you know, the there is a role for the PA cyber school, but there's no oversight, and there needs to be reform. It's costing us way too much money, needlessly. There's too much money going out, and there's no accountability. We could save we could save money there if we do some some uh, accountability. And I agree that the teachers uh, deserve a living wage and to be able to re- retire with re- uh, indignity uh, because it's a hard job. There's no question about it, and we need to support them. So as, as far as the formularies that they're talking about now, are you talking about how they're trying to change the retirement? I'm not quite sure I understand well, what the question Well, I think that uh, in terms of the cost of public education, uh, the co- and a lot of people – uh, point to teacher salaries, teachers' benefits, uh, and the retirements uh, that they have been able to negotiate over the years. Right. A lot of a lot of people uh, complain about the teachers' salaries, but those salaries become they st- they don't start out like that. I mean, they start out like at thirty thousand dollars, which is not a lot of money. I mean, face it. Uh, you you know, you make fifteen fifteen dollars an hour. That's thirty thousand a year. So uh, a 30000 a year salary is not a huge salary, and, and the teachers don't start out at much more than that. So uh, when you work your way up and you get your master's and you get your other certificates, uh, then, you know, we want to give our teachers living wages. We want to keep them because we need good teachers. And to that point, I know, as I said, my daughter, being a teacher, uh, goes out and buys supplies out of her Exactly. Wages. And they're working on weekends. You know, what mm-hmm. our teachers have to do at this point is they're teaching a class that has a wide range of abilities. So they have to teach to the whole class, which means when they do their lesson plans, they're doing lesson plans for several different abilities within a classroom. And this, you know, people think that teachers don't work a full day. They work way more than a full day. Um, oh, absolutely. So it's not an easy job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I give them all the credit in the world. They deserve it. Amy, you want to chime in on yeah, that? Yeah, how much does your daughter spend on supplies? Every a lot. Year? A lot. A lot. My girlfriend who teaches kindergarten at New Brighton spends $3,000 a year out of her own pocket. Not just for books and pencils, right, but for underwear and socks and coats and sneakers, because that's what her kids need. And that's why she's in the profession she's in. And it's that dedication that's not unique um, to my friend, right? We see teachers like your daughter throughout our communities. The thing at places like New Brighton, and I know we can all in our communities relate to this, is so many of our teachers are graduates from our community, right? And they stick around because they love New Brighton and they understand that we are generations of families together um, helping to raise one another. Um, it's, it's tough for us to recruit other teachers. And if we keep, you know, really, gr- you know, making it difficult for them to succeed, we're going to have a real deficit of skill set and that will be tough to replace. I know that you both have busy schedules on the campaign trail, so we won't take that much more of your time today because you have to get out there and knock on doors and press the flesh all over the place. Um, Catholic Church scandal. Pennsylvania. Terry <laughs> just, just took the wind. <laughs> what is that all about? But the Attorney General, Josh Shapiro, in Pennsylvania uh, came down with a scathing report about the Catholic Church, especially in Pennsylvania, and what 
is going to be done about it? Who hid these things and who's going to be held responsible for it? So it's something that's going to be on the radar screen in Pennsylvania, I think, for a long time to come. I'm sure you both have uh, read and seen stories about this stuff. What can the state legislature do? Josh Shapiro is talking about changing the rules so that uh, the statute of limitation uh, uh, is wiped out so that they can you know, go after these people now. Any thoughts on it? Religion and politics, something you should never talk about, right? I, quite frankly, I think that's um, the least we can do. It, it, just from what I understand of the situation, I think um, protecting children at all costs has to be our top priority. It's disgusting, and there's just no room for it in our culture, and, and we have to look at these institutions we support that, that let behavior like this go on. Well, what we're seeing in public school systems, and we've seen it a lot, uh, if it's a teacher and a student or if uh, whether it was at Penn State people and, get fired. and all that stuff, people are fired. People are turned over to the Justice Department, right? I mean, they're turned over to the authorities. In the Catholic Church, they've been able to skirt that. Yeah. I, I would certainly support changing the statute of limitation on criminal, um, uh, on these criminal uh, laws that to, to hold these these priests and other officials accountable. And civilly, I know that the statute of limitations is longer, but I, I'm just so deeply offended by the culture. And there is no statute of limitations on the moral obligation of the church to make repairs for what has been happening in, in that church. There's none. They, they have an obligation to make it right. Okay, very good. Um, what do I conclude with now? I, I guess we could conclude with uh, finding out, is this what you expected your race to be? Is this what you expected uh, your run in politics? Terry, you came in late because of the fact that the petition issue, uh, the person who was going to run for the district seat for the Democrats, um, wasn't able to validate and there was a mistake on the petitions at the, at the courthouse. Uh, so you came into this late. Perhaps you never even thought about running prior to that, but you did. And now you're, you're into it now. I gave myself one week to think about doing this. It was the uh, Democratic Party that came to me and asked me to do this. And I gave myself one week to make the decision. And I remember thinking, this is going to be Harry Carey. And um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it still is. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of different things. Amy, you seem to be enjoying it. I, I do. I, I, uh, what, what's been surprising to me is just the uh, um, every step of the process. So, okay, petition signing, we'll figure this out. Okay, great. We ordered signs. Now we have to have a distribution system for them. The business nuts and bolts have been uh, new information on every turn. What uh, isn't surprising and what I thought I would love is the privilege of, of really uh, reaching the community and listening to the community and giving testimony to their plight and their stories and their hopes and their dreams. Um, I've done that for a living for a lot of years in the nonprofit sector in various ways. But to be able to do this for my community, I'm really excited to start working hard in Harrisburg for these folks. We know it costs a lot to run a race uh, and a competitive race in these districts, which are so uh, vast, not personally how much you're spending on it, but how much for our listeners uh, idea, how much would it cost a ballpark figure to run a campaign for so, state rep? Can I, can I start? Go right ahead. 
So when I started, I, of course, met with uh, Harrisburg. And so the first amount I heard was a $300,000 race would, would really position you well. After my first three months of uh, fundraising, we developed an adjusted budget uh, that brought us down to 155.5. And um, after raising, after campaigning for about nine months and having raised $30,000 only, uh, you know, we get creative, which is what I've done in business for a long time, right? It's about how do you organ community organize with limited resources um, so that you develop an army of ambassadors who spread the word, right? Who get excited about the vision we're building and will work on behalf of the campaign. So I am definitely bringing some uh, community organizing skills into play. And uh, fundraising is challenging. What's exciting about fundraising right now in politics is that it is grassroots. These are women in their homes and um, uh, labor workers that are writing personal checks to us. We're not getting large checks, uh, as we've seen in races that are being won across the country. It's the grassroots folks that are funding us, five, ten, twenty dollars at a time. People who, uh, teachers who want to see their schools get better, uh, union guys who are seeing that. Um, that they need more support and that their pensions are at risk, uh, that right to work is being brought up every legislative season. Um, these are the people that are stepping up and contributing, and we are grateful. See, now you just opened the door on that right to work thing, because I know that our area <laughs> has been strong on uh, unions, uh, labor, yeah. and we have still have a lot of that mentality here. Those are our values, but right? But when I read that, uh, well, we can work together with the Republicans on different issues, that's not one of the issues you can work together on because they do want to bring in right to work. I don't understand how you can be sometimes for labor. My opponent votes with labor or certainly unions some of the time. It's a value, and your values are not, uh, you don't compromise on your values. I believe in paying people fair wages, making sure they can retire in dignity, uh, and that they um, are protected while they're on the job. Mm -hmm. Jerry, let you finish off here on both the issues and going forward, uh, the cost of a campaign. Uh, because if you're not getting money from corporations and places like that that you would be beholden to, then it's going to be uh, pounding the pavement, getting $5 here, $10 here from constituents. It is. It's definitely pounding the pavement. Um, and it does take a lot of money to run a campaign. There's no question about it. Uh, mailers, very expensive. Mail, uh, you know, postage, very expensive. But we have to reach our constituents. Um, so we do need the donations. Yeah, it takes a lot of money. Haven't done any TV? No TV yet? No, that's kind of like, you know, that's a wish list. Uh, TV is definitely a wish list. Especially with the competitive races uptick it, it just would yes, be hard for us to compete. You know, on TV. we are competing for funding. Um, you know, with with you know the congressional races and with the governor's race, and you know, so yeah. So there's a lot of people who are who are funding a lot of races. And these campaigns are working exceptionally well together, and I'm really excited about that. Not only here in Beaver County, um, along with the party, but regionally and statewide. There's an amazing coordination happening, and so it's it's uh, adding to the momentum. Very good. Well, thank you both for being here. Terry Mitko, Democratic candidate for the 15th Legislative District, and Amy Fazio, a Democratic candidate for the 14th Legislative District. Good luck to you both, and uh, I'm sure people are going to be seeing you out on the campaign trail. Thanks, thank Mike. you. This podcast is the live mic with Mike Romine on the Social Voice Project. If you like what you heard, make sure you like, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app.
You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. Your organization, Sarah, I think it was a disgraceful, disgraceful, so false and fake. I think it's a disgrace. That information that was false and fake and never happened got released to the public. A failing pile of garbage. It's a disgrace. What took place? It's a disgrace. And I think they ought to apologize to start with. You are fake news. You are fake news. You are fake news.